So we will uh, start off the fireside chat with a moderated fireside chat between Tech and Mickey, um, and then move into the live Q&A portion. So Tech and Mickey, do you want to introduce yourself? And I will hand it over to you, Tech, to sure. uh, kick things off. Thanks, Sunil. Um, so my name is Tech. I'm from Binance X. Uh, you can think of Binance X as the developer-facing innovation arm for Binance. We do a lot of uh, developer grants. We do investments into projects and things of that nature. Uh, so I'm very close to developers and, and the latest, greatest things in crypto. Today, uh, uh, let me do, do a quick intro of uh, what we're going to talk about and then uh, get Mickey to do a quick intro of himself. Uh, so today we're very lucky to have the um, Senior VP of Partnerships, Mickey Marr. Is, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Uh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Oh, okay, Good job, great. There. Good job there. Like Bill Marr, right? Yeah, okay. everyone says mayor, but you know, I thought Bill Marr <laughs> had, had more uh, clout than that. Oh, uh, <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, so Mickey is from Dapper Labs, uh, the company behind NBA Top Shots, the most popular uh, white-labeled kind of NFT platform marketplace today so prior to this uh, i guess dapper labs was most famous for being the company that created crypto kitties pretty much a pioneer in the nft space so before that maybe maybe you can give a quick intro of yourself and maybe a quick information about dapper labs and, and be a top shots i thought you just did that a little bit more detail i would say most importantly what dapper labs is known for is the flow blockchain which the top shot would not be possible without it so uh, as tech said i'm the head of partnerships at dapper labs uh, started in this space by creating uh, the largest ethereum app in history crypto kitties and then recently obviously launched nba top shot the largest app in history on any blockchain platform as well as the uh, Flow blockchain, the blockchain for uh, entertainment and collectible apps targeted to a mass market audience. I've spent a good 13 or 14 years in uh, startups around gaming, consumer apps, whether it's in the Facebook space, mobile space, uh, and now the blockchain space. So this is a a pretty good intersection of uh, where my experience and talents lie platforms, gaming, new paradigms in, in gaming and, and consumer apps. So joined three years ago, about three years ago, which puts me at Dapper Labs right after CryptoKitties kind of blew up and took the world by storm. Nice, nice. That's a good segue to the first question. You know, Dapper Labs, as I kind of knew it back then, was the creator of uh, CryptoKitties. They did it at a, at a hackathon in Toronto, I think. It blew up. And then you guys went on to develop uh, a few more games and they're all very much, uh, I would say, like crypto native oriented towards the crypto native crowd, like people who understand crypto, people understand what NFTs are. But then all of a sudden you guys, uh, you know, came up with the flow blockchain and then moved on to something extremely mainstream on the other end of the spectrum, which is NBA. So how did this partnership, how does the thinking process go, you know, to kind of pursue this path? for, uh, you know, towards this NBA Top Shot, uh, you know, NFT platform? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that attracted me to the company and why I wanted to join the company was they were thinking about platforms and gaming on platforms the right way. So you mentioned something that everything that we've done is very crypto native. I mean, I, I really think that's the only way to do it. I think if you look at any successful um 
apps or games on new platforms, the ones that are ultimately the winners and the success stories on those platforms are the, the ones that build natively. They're scrappy. They think about what's new about the platform, what's powerful about the platform, what new user behaviors they can unlock, and then they build for those things. I think where folks fail traditionally is where it's big incumbents or AAA studios or large corporations just kind of coming in and throwing old ideas in a new platform. I don't think that traditionally works. I think in technology, we've seen that time and time again where, where that's failed. Um, so that's what attracted me to the company. And I think that's why we're, we're successful and we've been successful a couple times over here. So we do build our products from Dapper Labs, Dapper Studios to be very native to the platform and native to the blockchain. And I would say we, you know, we did a lot on Ethereum. We tested a lot of concepts. A lot of things just kind of appeared um, out of nowhere. Use cases, uses of the platform, uh, utilities for NFTs, etc. Without without us really anticipating it or planning for it. So being such, um, you know, being developers on the blockchain platform, the Ethereum platform helped us learn a lot about what makes this space great. And, you know, anything that we build or have built has been based about, upon learnings, what's good, what's bad, what's worked, what hasn't with previous projects. So I would say that Cheese Wizards, our Dapper uh, smart contract wallet on Ethereum, and, and, and most importantly, CryptoKitties, uh, f- has formed our strategy moving forward in both what we do from a Dapper Studio perspective but, you know, how we thought about building flow, how we thought about building a blockchain, we knew we couldn't drive a, a true mass market uh, to our experiences on the Ethereum blockchain for, for multiple different reasons. So we took a lot of what was good from Ethereum and we took a lot of, of those learnings of what was ultimately limiting. And we built flow with that in mind, plus with the consumer in mind from the ground up. And essentially that that has that plus a license that reaches, you know, a billion plus people globally has really made uh, Top Shot the secret or, or the rocket ship that it is. Yeah, yeah. It's very impressive. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what you what you just mentioned where you guys are actually thinking about this NFT um, stack from kind of first principles, if you will, you know, not relying on existing um uh, infrastructure or blockchain that is more generic, right, across multiple use cases. I think that's a really good strategy. And you guys were very patient in getting that vert- vertical integration done. Uh, it's been like, what, three years since CryptoKitties. Uh, Crypto so I think people see an overnight success in NBA Top Shot, but people following you guys, you know, see the progression from CryptoKitties to now. It's not surprising that you guys caught this massive rocket ship. No, I mean, you know, we've we've done it twice. We've done it twice over now, so it's a trend, not a not an anomaly. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, we know we we know what we're doing in this space. We know how to build blockchain experiences, whether it's first party, third party IP. Um, and and we're just honestly, to be quite honest with you, we're just getting started with Topshot. There's so many ideas and concepts that uh, we can put into play here to make it even more interesting and, and more sticky. That um haven't even surfaced yet. I mean, really, Top Shot should still be in beta. It was just such a compelling product that kind of took off on its own volition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I participated in 
five drops and never got a single pack because every time I joined, there's a lot more people fighting for fewer packs. So, you know, it was uh, like, I see some of our collectors in the audience here. I'm sure they'll have the goodwill to kind of send you some. some oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. There's, there's some OTC trades here. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm a big NBA fan as well. I watch uh, almost every game of the Warriors. Yeah, so, you know, it kind of uh, interesting that the, I think the crypto native folks among us, uh, they've uh, followed Dapper Labs and the NFTs for two to three years. They kind of understood what NFTs are. They understood the NBA Top Shot, uh, what the NBA Top Shot NFT represents. But for most people, you know, the mainstream folks that are not into crypto, they only learned about NFTs in the past two months. And so one of the questions that always pop up and people always ask is like the clips, the highlight reels you guys are dropping on NBATopShot.com, you can find it on YouTube, you can find them on, on the internet. So what's the difference between that, you know, those NFTs that you're selling uh, for, for the Top Shot user? Uh, how would you kind of characterize the value proposition there? Well, um, I don't mean this as condescending, and I know you know the difference, so this is definitely not towards you. Like, I don't even know what I would say to that. Uh, like, like, if you didn't really understand that, then I don't know what I can say that would help you otherwise. So the example I think I would give, there's many examples in the physical and real world. I'll give you a perfect example. I've been to the Louvre. I've been to the Louvre a couple times. I've seen the Mona Lisa. I have a picture of the Mona Lisa. I don't know how much the Mona Lisa is worth, but I could look at my phone right now and I could see the Mona Lisa if I wanted to in many different angles. I could probably even take that picture and put it on my Instagram and you know view it a hundred times a day if I wanted to. Does that make it the Mona Lisa? Does that make it worth hundreds of millions of dollars? Of course not, right? So it's people that don't understand this look at the actual clips and they say, well, what am I actually buying? If you're buying a physical baseball card or basket, if you're buying the Jordan rookie card in the physical world, you're not buying the cardboard. You could see that image online. You could take a picture of that image of the Jordan rookie card and you could print it out. You could do anything with that image except for monetize it. But that's not the point. The point is that that thing is known to have value. It's known to be scarce. It is known to have so, so you're, you have some sort of social capital by actually owning that thing. It's the human psychology of knowing the difference between I actually spent money on that thing. I was actually early in on that thing. I actually knew what to invest in, what not to invest in. I actually own that thing. Um, but it's even more pronounced on the blockchain because another example of this is the blockchain is truly verifiable scarce. So in many ways, it's better than the physical world. I was a big baseball card collector growing up as a teenager. I actually probably own right now today in some uh, storage shed somewhere, somewhere between 40 to 60 Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck rookie cards. And I would acquire those things and I would chase them down. I would buy them. I would buy boxes of upper deck cards to try to get those things because I thought they would be worth you know, millions of dollars today. Um, and, and conceivably, they could be if the scarcity was kind of uh, if upper deck held uh, printing them back a little bit and scarcity was upheld. But what happened was and what we know now and you can Google it on the Internet is 
because there was so much demand for those things and they were so valuable at that point, you know, at that point in time, Upper Deck made, overmade them. They kept printing them, kept printing them, kept printing them, and they, they oversupplied the market. So uh, essentially what I thought I was buying, uh, I realized was <laughs> not that scarce and not that hard to find, thus not that valuable. So the blockchain fixes that, you know, top shots that you buy, trade, open and packs, they're on a transparent, verifiable ledger of where they were bought, when they were bought, and what version they are. You, you cannot make any more of those versions ever. So the scarcity is verifiable and fixed and mutable. Yeah, for sure. I think that the transparency around the scarcity is very, very important. Like you said, the even Vitalik, right? If you read the story, how why he um, he kind of um, wanted to do Ethereum was based on uh, virtual goods in, in a virtual game uh, and the ability for the game maker to inflate the economy by print, you know, just creating more virtual goods. Um, yeah. His own personal frustration with this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so I don't know. I don't know if I answered the question. No, no. I think you did. I think. Yeah. I think you know. It, it has to. The uh, people who who um, want to collect these uh, uh, NFTs, uh, or even if you kind of related to back to pre NFT days, is really c- collecting like uh, jerseys, cards, things uh, that are you know, made of atoms, right? Um, yeah, people, yeah. yeah, people feel what affinity to that. What is an autograph but the fact that I met this person in person? That's all exactly. an autograph is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's really, it's, it's a human construct. Yeah, it's a human construct. It's an emotional thing. It's, uh, it's a memory. It, it's a lot of things. It, it, some people uh, use it for clout, you know. <laughs> well, it, a lot of this is the flex and clout. I mean, yeah, honestly, like, yeah. There's an underlying token that transformational here that is different than anything else digitally because it does give you true ownership. You can take that thing and you can put it on your uh, your ledger or your cold storage or your hardware wallet, and it's yours. And that's that's transformational. the The video clip is just an accessory to it. It's an innovation that can only be done digitally. It's hey, I've got my Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. I've got a nice picture of him. Uh, but now digitally, you can transform that into a video clip and a nice. 3d cube that's graphically pleasing that moves around and the video pops up and you know open and closes in that the, the video is just an accessory it's yeah. the the nature of the thing that's important exactly and and i always say that uh if you ask gen z's or younger they would think the complete opposite they'd be like why are you collecting you know physical things you know because they grew up in the digital era so everything digital makes sense to them yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And, and look, man, look, I'm 43 years old, all right? This is a good analogy in my mind. Some people nod their heads when I say it. Some people don't, but I'll, I'll say it. Maybe half the audience will get it. I'm 43. I remember the days where I would go to the nightclub with a, there was Polaroid cameras that were actual cameras that you would print physical photos from and you would have them in a box or in a photo album. So there was a day in my life that I remember, the physical nature of the photo was inconceivable to me. Now, probably more than 20 years later now, it is inconceivable that physical photos actually even existed. Like, you can't even imagine, like the power of digital photographs versus physical photographs is just, it doesn't even equate anymore, right? You can, 
just what you can do on Instagram, what you can do on Snapchat, just the number of people you can reach digitally, the social elements you, you can put on a photo. It, the, the physical photo is just a relic, an artifact in time. And I'm not saying this is going to necessarily happen with collectibles and, and ownership of items. It very much could. It is, in my opinion, likely that physical collectibles, physical art moves more into the digi digital realm, if not exclusively. Yeah. And, and you know, I was just browsing. Um, there's this website called Evaluate.market. Uh, it's a third-party site, right? Someone built to kind of track. Uh, is that a coin market cap for NBA Top Shot NFTs? And so I was looking through that leaderboard. There, there are people who have spent like a million dollars on NBA Top Shot NFTs, which is, and, and it's gained in value like a lot more than they spent, which is uh, pretty amazing to me. Um, so this is a phenomenon that has definitely taken hold, uh, not just among crypto folks, but not just among like, uh, probably, you know, definitely among NBA fans, basketball fans, but even beyond that. So, yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about uh, not NFTs in, in, in particular, but kind of NBA Top Shot, right, where you guys have built. Uh, so you guys, uh, as I understand it, you, you launched this uh, in October last year, right? And then, yes, yeah, kind of, what, what is the, you know, kind of growth trend like? What, <clears throat> how did it evolve to what it is today? And, uh, you know, any kind of lessons you can share in how you kind of built and, and evolve and grow? The service we launched it in very exclusive beta a couple hundred users a few hundred users at first and we slowly rolled it out and, and built it up um february maybe or, or january I, I can't remember you just started seeing darren ravel pick it up mainstream pick it up twitter started going crazy about it and then overnight it became the fastest growing marketplace of any kind in human history I think because there's an economy involved and I think because there's, you know, scarcity involved, especially with the very early stuff that you drop, probably good strategy to launch these types of things is go very, very small and exclusive at first and slowly build up to the actual user that you're trying to ultimately reach. Because the ultimately who we're trying to reach is the mainstream and specifically the, the typical NBA fan. That's who we want into this thing. And, and, and frankly, that's who we have. There's a common misperception. I mean, you've brought up a couple of times that, that people spending a million dollars, the $250,000 uh, top shot NFTs. But in reality, I don't know the exact number, but uh, our average transaction price uh, uh, for top shot is around $150, $200. So most of the users and most of the transactions are being done by your typical NBA fan or your your traditional collector, not some crypto or NFT whales. Yeah, those, those folks are the, the whales who you see spending $250,000 mostly. But most of the activity, the 400 and X million dollars in secondary marketplace volume is done by your typical uh, NBA fan or mass market user. So I would say smart, start exclusive because exclusivity is important here. Start small and build up from there to the audience you're ultimately trying to reach. It's, it's, it's not that different from launching a mobile game. My only recommendation would probably be to start even smaller in private beta than, than you do with a mobile game, uh, just because you want to get the economics right. You want to get the scarcity engine right. You want to reach uh, the right users who are going to be the foundation of your economy first and then build out from there.
Yeah, and one one sign that uh, I've kind of seen that has always been, you know, kind of a signal to me that ecosystem has really kind of taken is the, you know, the sprouting out of like third-party ecosystem services and people streaming live on Twitch, kind of giving tips and YouTube videos, like talking about how do you go get a drop how do you what's what's the best practices and everything else and and, and it, you did you guys did a good job in you know making the experience of like queuing up for a drop itself kind of um, entertaining or kind of engaging right you have one do you guys uh, just embed that is that a someone you hired or was it just someone who volunteered to kind of like kind of live stream the drops do you know what I'm talking about when you when you queue up for a drop that's there's, there's a twitch live stream that just talks through everything. Yeah, that's we have an employee. Um, we have others okay. that are not employees and just meeting members. Um, I, you know, I don't. I'm not allowed to participate in drops, so um, I don't get to enjoy the experience like you do. Look, you're talking about community building, and that's really one of the native things with the blockchain that, that makes this more powerful than other platforms is what we call the composability aspect of the blockchain. Now. It's not exactly what you're talking about. Composability in our mind and, and what, what, how this manifests on the blockchain is smart contracts are ultimately uh, uh, open. They're open platforms or open APIs, for lack of a better analogy, that allow your, your users or your third-party developers or anyone to come in and build experiences on top of core experiences. So... We saw on CryptoKitties um, something called a Kittyverse. And the Kittyverse was about 40 to 50 third-party developers that wanted more utility or additional things to do with CryptoKitties uh, on top of just being able to breed them. So the third parties actually came in, hobbyists and companies alike, came in and built experiences on top of the CryptoKitties smart contracts. There was uh, like Tinder for kitties where... Uh, you would swipe right and then would automatically breed your kitties together. There was a social network for kitties. There was kitty hats, which was um, accessories for your cats. Uh, there was something called kitty races where you could wager ETH and race your kitties together. Uh, so that's that's really, I mean, the community aspect, the, the ability to for community members or users of the experience to go out and build their own experiencing, leveraging that core experience. This is the real power here. And, and that's flow, ultimately, that was one of the key components we were thinking of and one of the key use cases we were trying to capture uh, when we built and launched flow. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's how you know you are a true platform when you don't have to do all the innovation, right? You have your developers, your fans, and, and, and uh, your community build new stuff that you don't have to think about and and they kind of evolve the the use cases for you and it yeah, we, we, yeah yeah we we hoped um we hoped at worst the top shop would inspire and it would inspire a community of developers of, of what's possible and, and we've done that we've done that way more than that so yeah i mean exactly we just wanted to inspire or inspire third-party developers and community members to do something great and do something great on flow and and, and it's happening. Cool, cool. I wanted to zoom out a little bit um, to Dapper Labs and the Flow blockchain. Uh, I, I know that you guys not even like one percent done with NBA Top Shot. Uh, every drop just has you know a hundred thousand more you know people queuing up for drops. Uh, so, so 
you know, and you guys are growing like gangbusters. Um, but as, as a company, I'm sure you guys have, you know, a vision of what the NFT market is going to evolve. I, I know there's this uh, uh, bubbly kind of land rush uh, thing going on these days. It's been only been two months, to be honest, like, like this NFT thing, uh, since it kind of blew up on, on Clubhouse and other places and the press. Uh, how do you see, you know, like the NFT market evolving and what's your vision on kind of leading uh, or leading, you know, uh, innovating this market? Well, I think we feel and I think we've proven that we are the leaders in innovation um, of this market. I think there's room for others to come in and innovate. And uh, I don't want to say catch up, but we, we hope we've shown what, what's possible and other high quality developers come in and build on flow in our are successful. Look, I don't. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, we're in this business because we know non-fungible tokens are a thing. World shifting technology. It's a paradigm shift that will be around forever. Um, how straight shot that is, or how rocky that is to ultimately get, is unknown. Look, look. Any growing technology, any new paradigm shift has peaks and valleys. Where this peaks and how much it valleys is anyone's guess. Um, but you know, over a five-year trajectory, uh, this is going to be a huge paradigm shift. This is going to be a technology that's implemented everywhere, and we'll see significant growth over the next few years. Um, if that looks like a straight line or, or a roller coaster curve is anyone's guess. But right now, given what I see from third parties, you know, large brands, IP holders, independent developers, tools, etc., cetera, uh, there is no sign of it slowing down. Uh, and there's a lot of signs and signals that uh, it's going to continue to grow given uh, who wants to participate in this space and, and more importantly, how they want to participate in this space. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, this is one of those very obvious inflection points in crypto. And one of the things that, you know, um, I thought could be, even, you know, very disruptive in a way that uh, people ha- haven't really thought about is, you know, there's this controversy around, uh, or you know, controversy with uh, Fortnite and Apple, right? Do you know about that? Where Fortnite is kind of trying to get out of the stranglehold of the App Store. So, so I think because NFTs, and most people don't really talk about NFTs as, as virtual goods and games, because it's not as sexy as like NFT drops, you know, by NBA highlight reels or, you know, celebrities or like DJs or things that are, have a more popular fan base. And, and also the game virtual goods have been in the mainstream since the App Store, uh, since the the rise of mobile games in, in the app store, right? People don't think of them as, as NFTs, but that is market has been going on for, for a long time. It's been, you know, billions and billions of dollars have been paid out to developers. And I feel like this NFT, you know, the shift to NFTs could potentially disrupt uh, the app store market where the platform, the app store owners are extracting rent. And then now you can kind of route around them and have a secondary market outside of, of the app store. Um, yeah, I, I don't share that position entirely. I don't view the app stores as rent seekers or extracting rent. I think they provide a valuable service on multiple levels. But I get the point overall that uh, with open platforms, with composability, there is potential that that, that model is disrupted. I think the, where I really want to shift the conversation on, on this topic is the disruptors aren't, I don't think, are going to be the incumbents. I think the 
they'll be a Roblox for the blockchain. They'll be a first-person shooter, Counter-Strike, Call of Duty for the blockchain. They'll be there'll be these these companies that spin up that build natively for the platform instead of instead of the opposite. I mean, again, I've been in the gaming space uh, since 2007, and 2007 is when Facebook opened their platform to apps, um, and that was folks probably don't remember it was it peaked and died pretty quickly because it was at the whims of Facebook shifting rules and platform changes, but it did spin out a number of billion dollar companies, most notably Zynga, and all of those companies were not the AAA studios or the existing game companies. They were all indie studios that built natively for the platform, tested the social channels of Facebook in multiple different ways, and eventually saw stuff like Farmville Tool 2 and those types of uh, experiences pop up and just really leveraged the, I mean, the game mechanics and the games were just copies of existing games on other platforms they did well was they took those concepts and made it very native to the social channels of facebook the same thing is true for ios and android and, and the smartphone gaming phenomenon it wasn't ea or activision or 2k or, or any of those folks nintendo that won the uh, mobile market it was supercell it was rovio it was king it was Indies that took a look at what mobile, uh, the technology that is mobile, the hardware that was on, and they took existing game concepts and molded them into that platform so they were native. The same thing will happen here. So when you talk about games on the blockchain, you're going to see a five-man or five-woman team uh, bubble up, build that multi-billion dollar property uh, natively to the blockchain that probably has borrowed concepts from existing successful games that those concepts and mechanics have proven to be successful over and over again. So I look at it as not shoehorning blockchain into Fortnite, but building the Fortnite from the ground up native with the blockchain in mind first. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, a fun fact is that I was on the Facebook platform team and I was uh, the PM for, for mobile platform. And, uh, you know, I interacted with Supercell when they were just two person company. So I kind of saw from the ground up how they built a very uh, mobile first uh, experience uh, game, you know, wrote that to, to great success. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, let's see, should uh, Leo, should we open up uh, to questions? Uh, sure. Open. Yeah, let's do it. I will let you guys up uh, one at a time. So Jim, you want to go ahead? Yeah, hey guys, thanks. My name's Jim, and uh, I'm involved in a lot of blockchain technology. And, uh, you know, I've looked a lot at the, the Flow blockchain over the last month, like many other people have. And I guess one of the questions, two questions. One was an area of concern, I guess, for a lot of people would be if I buy an NFT, and especially someone who buys a LeBron for 200 grand, if I own that moment and anything were to happen to the Flow blockchain, I build up this collection over time that hopefully is worth a lot of a lot of money. You know, my collection kind of goes down the drain, uh, if I understand it right, if anything would ever happen. Dapper Labs goes out of business. If there's a fallout with the NBA or the Players Association, you know, what happens to my collection? That's one. And then the other one is if somebody like uh, Spencer Dinwiddie does, buys his own card and I know his wallet address, in theory, if you know somebody's wallet address on a blockchain and they did other things, if they bought liquor or 
a gun, you know, or anything else, there's maybe privacy concerns about, you know, who's conducting business and especially for players, but even for anyone on the blockchain, like, you know, what's, how do you guys view that data privacy? How do you view the longevity of the, uh, of that flow blockchain so that it protects my, you know, my collection in perpetuity? I could hand it down to my kids or grandkids or that kind of thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll handle the second question first because I don't know the answer to that question and I'm not the right person to talk through privacy issues of, of the blockchain. Um, I can refer you to our privacy experts, which we do have internally. So I'm sure they are thinking very deeply and passionately about that topic. Um, if, you, if you want to discuss that further. Now, the first topic, I don't know, I would probably ask you the same thing about Ethereum. And the, the reason I would say it that way is because I think there's maybe a misconception that flows some, somehow centralized or somehow ultimately controlled by, by Dapper. If you buy a moment, you, you own the moment. One could argue that flow, one could argue, not saying I'm making this argument, but one could argue that flows maybe even more decentralized than Ethereum. In theory, uh, flow has about 300 unique node operators across the globe. There's probably more nodes being run on Ethereum. I don't know the, the number. There is more nodes being run on Ethereum. But as we all know, those nodes tend to consolidate to a few number of parties. So our our blockchain is far more decentralized and distributed, I think, than probably Ethereum. If not, if we don't want to make that comparison, it is certainly more distributed outside of Dapper Labs control. So those those the NBA top shots exist on the blockchain, and as long as there's node operators running nodes, all of those things that you fear don't come true because it's in a decentralized world where uh, they live on a blockchain. You want access to those things and you want those transactions processed. There's node software uh, out there that you could spin up a node. If you're the only node in existence, uh, that would be available to you. So, you know, we're, we're decentralized. We are moving to even more decentralized worlds slowly but surely. But uh, I don't, those, those concerns, I don't think are, are valid um, given that. I guess the reason I'd say that, Mickey, is I guess my understanding, and I think a lot of people in the tech world, is that is that the Flow blockchain is somewhat of a walled garden right now, as opposed to Ethereum, which is open code. Anyone can come in. Anyone can be an operator. You know, so it, I would think it's considerably different in that regard. But that's that's actually not true. It's not a walled garden. Anyone can build. Um, I have thousands of developers in my pipeline building on Flow currently. The only thing that I would say would even be considered uh, Dapper Labs control is we do provide a free smart contract audit because our cadence smart contract language is new. So we want to make sure it's safe and secure. The developer wants us to make sure their users are safe. So the Dapper will audit, requires an audit, honestly, of these contracts before they go live. But if Dapper ceases to exist, then there's no one to audit those smart contracts and you can easily publish them to the blockchain, which many have done, dozen or so uh, third-party apps live and high hundreds, if not a thousand gaps, tools, marketplaces in the pipeline building on flow right now. So my entire job right now is to ensure that third parties are getting everything they need to build on flow and ensuring that they're they're getting through the process and getting live on flow. So it's, it's definitely not a walled garden at all. Uh, you can, I can send you our open, I can send you the MBA Top Shot smart contract. I can send you a kitty item smart contract. I can send you uh, integration docs to our Flow client library, and you can spin up right now. You can use uh, one of our 
find third-party wallets that are integrated into Flow. Ledger is integrated into Flow. And you can be off and running. It would just require, at least in the near term, before uh, we're comfortable with Cadence, the smart contract language, and the ecosystem is more comfortable with Cadence. It's just there's an audit of smart contracts, but it's more a service than, than a demand. That's a much better story than I expected. So I'm really uh, glad to hear that. And um, and it would be interesting to see any of that documentation. Maybe you guys could put that out on social media or something. And sorry, there's a lot of documentation on our site, and and you it's all out there. You can find it. It's in GitHub repos. I just when I talk to developers, I just curate it for them, so they don't have to look around and look for it. So if you want to uh, like hit me up on Clubhouse after this, I can just shoot you an email and I can give you that uh, that curated onboarding package for our developers. That'd be fantastic. The question comes up all the time in a lot of these different uh, Clubhouse rooms. Thank you. Yeah, it's, a, it's unfortunate. It's, it's a misconception and it's because I, I think the misconception comes in because we are really what we are as a company is we're two separate but intertwined groups. So we have the Dapper Studio, which is a customer of Flow which builds Top Shot on top of Flow. The, the Dapper Studio is a company, but then there's the Flow blockchain, which is open and decentralized for anyone to build on, right? And then that flows. That's the a ongoing. hugely important point. Thank you, because I didn't understand that. You're right. That makes a very big difference. So I'm glad I could clear that up because it is a mis- you're not the only one that has that misconception. The more I can get that out there, the more I can clear it up. So thank you for the question. Great. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to Brian. Thanks for giving me a chance to ask a question. Uh, Brian Rivera is my name. So my question is simple. I'm just worried about the how do you level the playing between the early adopters who has um, higher concentration of like the legendary top shots versus the newcomers really has like a lower chance of getting these um, rare items. Well, you know, what the, you know, what's great is that rarity can be recreated, right? So you're thinking about it from this moment in time. An example would be when these playoffs start. Okay, an example is a perfect example. We just did an all-star drop, right? The all-star drop, the 2021 all-star drop is the only one of those drops that will exist. So those things by default are scarce. So the users that participated in that would have scarce uh, moments or have scarce items. So there's always a new season, the playoffs, new rookies that come on board, you know, there's always the new cohorts that we can create, that can create, that can reset buying power, uh, that you can get something truly unique and new in the packs, you know, for $9.99 and up. So are you ever going to have the same power as the one of the first 50 users that got a, a Zion 1 of 50 Hollow MMX or whatever? Probably not, but there could be those Hollow, Hollow MMX 1 of 50s for the rookie class next year or you know, the finals uh, this year, right? So scarcity can be created and uniqueness can be created at any moment of time with any kind of theme that exists. Gotcha. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Uh, Let's move on to Joseph. Yeah. Hi. Hey, Mickey. It's been a long time. How you doing? No, not that long. I just got your email the other day. So good to connect again, buddy. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, yeah, this just kind of popped up like Clubhouse has a habit of doing sometimes, but I'm glad I could join. Thanks to the Binance folks and uh, you for doing this. Uh, Hey, I I have a couple of uh, questions. I'm just kind of starting to learn about NBA drops and, you know, Top Shot and all that. Um, But one of the things you brought up, and, you know, by the way, I yes, I participated and I did get the what did I do? I got the 
uh, All Star one, but I didn't get the last common one, which yeah, like the finance guy there said was <laughs> you've got like you know random places assigned, and then you got you know only fifty thousand or whatever it is. What I was wondering is. You know, you brought up something with baseball cards, and I can definitely relate. You know, I collect collected baseball cards when I was a kid, and I collected comics. Um, the thing I kind of don't get, and it's actually the marketplace that is dictating this. It's not you guys, which is really interesting. Is that you know, say you've got a common, you know, LeBron James dunk. It's called number one, meaning the platform calls it number one. And then you know, the prices don't necessarily go in order, right? Like the number one is always probably going to be the most expensive. You know, number 50 might be worth, you know, less than, I don't know, or somebody's offered it for less than number 150. But like you were up when you were mentioning, you know, baseball cards, it's kind of like, hey, you know, I've got a rookie card for whomever, Mark McGuire or you know, whatever player it was back in the day. That's what I kind of don't get is it's it's almost like you guys are creating, when I say you guys, I mean, you know, Top Shot, NBA Top Shot. You're creating this, I don't want to call it artificial, that's too hard of a word, but this kind of ranking, right? Like, hey, you got the number one card. Whereas, you know, with baseball cards, it's just like, they're just random. You know, it's like, I know that I've got the card and I know it's a rookie card. And yeah, sure, you could, I understand you guys want to limit supply, I was just wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I'm sure there's been internal discussions around this, right? Joe, I would say that's a feature, not a bug. Part of the ledger system that is the blockchain, part of the series number and the actual token number is it allows for social capital to be flexed, let's say. So if I'm the number one Zion fan in the world, I could potentially prove that out through something like this, right? So I was the first one. I've got number one Zion of this series. I've got number one Zion of that series. I've got all these Zions, and I was the earliest person to get all those Zions. Therefore, my social capital and my fandom is captured here uh, by being the number one Zion fan in the world. So I don't like. I don't necessarily inherently understand the question because. What, what you're asking about is, is transparency bad? Because this is transparently, transparently the first one ever made, right? A physical card company could do the same thing and say, hey, here's the first one ever made, and that would sell for more. But then they could print a bunch of, of those and you know, a bunch of those same serial numbers, and they're all the first ones that ever were ever made at that point. So... Um, it's just, to me, it's a, it's a feature, not a bug. I don't understand why it would be a negative to be able to verify that this was the first, use it to capture your fandom and social capital, and then have a certain market value associated with it. And it's not, and Joe, it's not always number one. The market decides what's valuable. The market has decided, to be honest with you, that the jersey number of the player is the most valuable of the series, right? So the 23 LeBron sometimes goes more, for more than the number one LeBron. So the market the market decides. It's, it's not set in stone that the first one will go for the highest price. It's just the market believes uh, in what I'm talking about, that if you have number one, it means you are first, you have the first one, and you, know, you, you were early or you're the biggest fan or wh- whatever it might be in that specific market. Yeah, I think I think you answered it. You hit it right there. It's kind of this new 
dimension, let's call it, right? It's like you check the box of, you know, this and that other thing with great ability with like physical goods. This one is almost like it's not the grade, you know, it's just the market determining it, which is a good point. Um, you know, I was wondering also, this might be a question for the Binance folks too. I mean, I've noticed, you know, when Flow first came out, just following, you know, cryptocurrencies, et cetera, like Americans, we can't ever buy these things right and even now it's not very easy to buy flow i was wondering if you know you guys had any insight to that and then kind of a second question related to that is these new nfts are are, are developing a new how should i say it kind of a, a new issue where you know you, we'll bring up baseball cards again right you own it and you know you can just pass it on to, to like, you know, your son or your grandkids and that sort of thing. Now, you know, I completely understand that this came up with Bitcoin. And if you don't have the private key, you know, that's one thing or the advent of like Coinbase, you know, you can obviously it's it's easier, let's say, to just pass things on, right? Passing it on as an asset. Um, I was wondering how you guys envision that, right? Because it's a it, it's a new dimension as far as passing on the asset. So um yeah. yeah, first question yeah. about flow and the second one about kind of transfer of ownership and, you know, inheritability, that sort of thing. Yeah, I know nothing about the flow token. Uh, that's a an exchange decision at uh, each individual's exchanges on how they treat it. I, I don't, uh, we, we have nothing to really do uh, with that. But on the second question uh it's better all my baseball cards are in a huge storage shed somewhere and i really really don't know where it is my mom could easily be lying to me and they could all be in the garbage i do not know uh it's halfway across the country these were all nfts and they were on my ledger uh she could just put it in a fedex box or a more secure shipping module than that and just send them to me or if you wanted to go the you know the, the non-custodial route and just have them on a server or online, I could just she could send me the account that they're in, right? So it's just digital is better in every way, including in this case, right? So cold storage with a letter ledger, she could ship that to me. I don't know how I'm ever going to get my collection of baseball cards that are back in the Midwest. That would be easy if it was on a ledger and a non-custodial fashion or. A centralized fashion where you would say Coinbase is holding your tokens, the same thing can exist with NFTs as well, where it's just an account online where you can access all of your NFTs and then you can shift them around to different wallets, cold or, or hot storage or, or wherever you want. So I think it's better, makes things easier. Again, I think not negative, but a positive, it exists in this format. Yeah, yeah I think. Um, and I feel that way about my Pokemon cards too. <laughs> but uh, to answer your first question, Joseph, uh, I'm yeah. sure our listening team is looking into it. Um, we're always looking at uh, top projects. So that's not uh, something that Tech and I are involved in either. But uh, yeah, stay tuned for any announcements or updates there. Um, in the interest of time, we will be moving on to Leo uh, for the final question. Okay. Um, I'm feeling you choose a top shot thing. Um, I just have a several general questions to Mickey. So do you have plan to like bring the past like legendary uh like clutch moments, uh epic some some other epic clutch shots uh into uh, top shot for example, what I'm thinking for example, reality three pointer in twenty thirteen finals. The other thing I guess I have a question is what what is your thinking regarding the price fluctuation? As far as I know, if I am correct, all, all the moments for sale is like nine ninety nine or like 
a, a low price, like $10-ish. But it has been traded like for hundreds of dollars. Right now, as the demand is very high, a lot of people are interested in buying that. What if like you are, you keep producing these moments and then let's say the demand is sort of fixed. Do you see that going to be changed dynamic in the demand and supply? And by the way, how do you determine how many copies you're going to put in each moment? Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot there. So on the first question, you want to buy Ray Allen's three-pointer against the Spurs. My answer to that is uh, stay tuned. Uh, the second question is how do we balance supply and demand, pricing? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not a perfect science. I mean, as you see, we have 10, 20x the demand for pack drops than we actually uh, can support. Um, I don't think the economics is, a, is an exact science yet, uh, but we're far away from uh, kind of in line with your first question, there's a lot of other things that we can do to kind of diversify what we're offering. Different seasons have different moments. Uh, playoffs have different moments. Past players have different moments. There's all kinds of interesting, unique things that we can do. And, um, you know, don't forget that there's a bunch of utility and secondary experiences and apps coming to Top Shop, which allows you to do more with your moments than just collect them and look at them. Uh, anything that we do in this space, we believe in that secondary utility or engagement loop, let's say, that it allows you to do things with your NFTs or, or specifically your, your MBA Top Shop moments in this case. How do we balance the economy? How do we decide how many to drop, etc.? We have a very sophisticated game in crypto economists that work for the Dapper Studio to make all these decisions to try to balance the, the present demand with future demand, not to oversaturate. A lot of lessons are taken from CryptoKitties and other Ethereum dApps along the way that have made uh, some mistakes in this case, uh, and th those learnings are applied here. So I, I, I'm rambling, I know, because uh, I'm trying to come up with a good answer, uh, but the real answer is it's kind of the secret sauce, Leo, and we've got the right team and the right people working on that, uh, those problems that we're pretty confident that the economy can remain somewhat stable. Got it. And do you have any example, like for the util utility thing you mentioned? Like, yeah. what they can be done? Yeah, I mean, stay tuned for this too, but potentially launching a, uh, a mobile game uh, called NBA Hardcore uh, potentially cause or, or create some use cases for your moments. Got it. Thank you, Mickey, very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Great. Um, cool. Well, that will wrap up our live Q&A. And then Tech and Mickey, is there anything uh, you want to wrap up with? Any closing remarks? Uh, go for it, Mickey. No, I would just say uh, thanks for everyone who joined. I hope, for, I hope it was informative. And uh, I know there's a lot of NFT talk and uh, clubhouse chats around this. I hope I could bring something different and unique to the table. Um, but yeah, I appreciate everyone that came to join. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time, Mickey. Uh, it's been super educational and helpful to learn from, from someone directly involved with uh, NBA Top Shot. So thank you very much. And thank you for putting it together, Binance Team. I appreciate it.